You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. So Christmas Eve service is nine. Uh, I said this last week, or this first service, I said nine. Don't come at nine, you'll, you'll miss the Christmas Eve service. Uh, it's at 3.30 and 5 Christmas Eve. I uh, would love for you to come. There are a bunch of invite, like little discs, they look like coasters, uh, a bunch of invite cards that are in the back. There also, you'll find some on the welcome uh, booth. As you, when you came in, you saw the welcome booth. Take some of those and invite, invite your friends, invite your family. It's a candlelight service. We'll actually light candles. Uh, none of that cheesy electrical stuff. We're, we're doing real flame. So just hopefully nobody burns anything. But yeah, so that's, that's this, this Christmas Eve. If you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word... We are in the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. If you're visiting with us, the reason why we stand to honor the reading of God's Word is because we believe that it is authoritative, that from Genesis all the way through Revelation is the Word of God, that the same voice that spoke the galaxies into existence is the same voice you read on the pages of this book. I ask that you stand to honor it and you sit when I preach because really, honestly, I have nothing good to offer you uh, outside of this book. And so um, that's why you get to sit for like 40 minutes while I talk. If you want to uh, recite the Lord's Prayer out loud, feel free to. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, that's okay. The words will be on the screen. You could, um, you also, hopefully you brought a Bible with you as well. Uh, this is the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for what you're doing in and through Meadowbrook. God, you're not just moving in and through Meadowbrook. You're moving in uh, scores of churches in, in this city, in this state, in this nation. So God, we lift up uh, those churches that are faithfully, you know, their pastors are faithfully preaching uh, your word, that the gospel is being proclaimed that the people who gather at various local churches are engaged in your mission. God, embolden them, strengthen them, and we pray the same for us. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that would receive your word. And uh, give us eyes to see. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in case you didn't know, we have several baptisms at the end of the service, so you want to hang out. You know, for after I finish, you know, when I have finished my sermon, I'll have to go right in the back and uh, jump in the water. Not really jump, but get in the water. There have been a lot of people in my life who have had a profound influence upon me. There are some of those who have had a profound influence on me that have walked away from the faith, have turned their back on the Lord. And uh, I still see their faces. They, when I remember them, it, it affects me. And there was one individual who, um, his name was John 
there's John Cummings and there's another John, and John would go with us to do street evangelism. He introduced me to John Cummings, who had a, a pretty profound influence upon my life. We would go to South Street, Philadelphia, and we would hang out on the corners and preach to the people as they walked by and hand out tracts and, and Bibles. We even went to uh, Kensington and did street evangelism there. If you don't know anything about Kensington, it's considered one of the more violent cities in the country. And he walked away from the Lord. He turned his back on the faith, didn't want anything to do with it anymore. Like, how did that happen? And, you know, when I was at a church in Denver, it was Northwest Baptist Church, there were four individuals who I asked to just speak into my life. I recognized that I, I needed their wisdom. I was young. I was a young pastor. Uh, I was very green. And I asked them, could you hold me accountable? Can you speak into my life? Can you pray for me? And, uh, and they agreed to. One of those individuals was a woman by the name of Darlene. At the time, she was in her 70s. Just seemed like one of those rock-solid individuals in the faith. Darlene and another woman by the name of Kathy came into my office, said they wanted to meet with me. And Darlene said to me, you know, I've come to the place where I no longer can believe that a loving God would send anybody to hell. And it crushed me when she said that. And I said, you know, Darlene, don't you know that, I mean, the, yeah, surely you know. Like the Bible says, if anyone preaches a different gospel than the one that, that, that I, Paul, the Apostle Paul, preached anathema. That, that word's a very strong word. It's used twice in the New Testament. It's used in Galatians chapter 1, verse 9, and it's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And I cried. And then, and then Kathy, who graduated from Moody Bible College, who it was a really great Bible college, she said, well, I'm, I'm leaving, you know, so Darlene told me she was leaving Northwest for that reason, and uh, the church, and Kathy told me the same thing, but she said, I'm leaving for a different reason, though. I no longer believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And I was crushed. How can you spend years, you know, reading the scriptures, hearing the voice of God from the scriptures, praying to him, and, and, and walk away from, from, from the faith that is presented in the scriptures. And then I think of the people that you're probably aware of, guys like Joshua Harris and some others who, who did the same thing. One of those guys wrote at least, contributed to the writing of at least 70 praise songs with, um, with, with Hillsong. I'll just, I have the, some of the lyrics of his song on the screen. He, this song was released in 2015. It's titled, Oh Praise the Name. And the words state this, I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still, and all alone. Then on the third day, at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. O trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. O praise the name of the Lord our God. Praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise, O Lord, our Lord, our God. Like, how do you go from that to, in 2019, he re Marty released this the statement on his Instagram account, 
time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith, and it doesn't bother me. Like what bothers me now is nothing. I am so happy now, so at peace with the world. It's crazy. And then later he released another Instagram post that, sta that stated this. This is a soapbox moment, so here I go. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be loved yet send four billion people to, to a place, to hell is what he's insinuating, because they don't believe. No one talks about it. Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people, but it's not for me. Like, how do you, how do you get to that place? And I, I believe the Lord's Prayer, this last petition in the Lord's Prayer, helps us and answers, uh, you know, how, how can we guard our hearts from that? The Bible, like the Apostle Paul, calls what happened to Marty Sampson and what happened to guys like Joshua Harris and others, like my friend who would do street evangelism with me, and, and my friend Darlene, he, he labels that as a shipwrecking of the faith. If you can picture a boat being capsized and just beat against the rocks, damaged, destroyed, useless. The author of Hebrews, whoever that is, some think it's the Apostle Paul, others think it's somebody else, the whole letter is really a warning. Do not throw the towel in on your faith. And in chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, the author of Hebrews says something that I think helps us understand what is it that Jesus is actually inviting us to do in this final petition in the Lord's Prayer. And, and this is what the author of Hebrews wrote. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to sharing Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And so this last petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What is, what is Jesus inviting us to do here? He, he's modeled for us a prayer. How are we to pray? Like if, if, The question you should be asking right now as you see this petition in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 is, well, so if we're asking God to lead us not into temptation, then are we not asking God to not tempt us to sin? Like, is, he, is, is that what Jesus is saying there? Pray that God does not tempt you to sin, but if you do sin, you're forced to go back to God and beg for the forgiveness of your sins. That doesn't make any sense. And, and so, I just have two points here, and the first is that lead us not into, into temptation. What does that mean? What does that mean? So this is so James, James chapter one. He he helps us understand what it doesn't mean, and um, let's let's read this together. Ready? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love Him. Let no one say when he is tempted, "I am being tempted by God." For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So the, the, 
the word here for temptation that's used is used like 23 times in the New Testament. Well, why does that matter? Well, it could be translated in two different ways, two primary different ways. Temptation or trials or trouble, you know, trials, trouble. And I think it should be translated trial here. And if you have like, uh, if you have the NIV, how many of you use the NIV? So some of you, I think the NIV has a footnote that indicates that, the ESV doesn't. Um, but it should be, I think it should be trial. So lead us not into trials. Okay. What kind of trials? Well, the trials that can lead us to capsize our faith. And so this word is used, the same word is used again in a parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 8. So go to Luke chapter 8. I know we're jumping around a little bit. But go to Luke chapter 8 if you have a Bible or you can just listen. In Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 4, a great crowd was gathered and people from town after town came to Jesus. And he said in a parable... He said, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rocks, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so there were some like, well, what does this mean? And so then Jesus explained to him, this is what it means. And we're not going to take the time to read all that Jesus said in, in explaining what the parable meant. But in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, he uses that same word that he uses in the Lord's Prayer for temptation. And he uses it in this verse. And this is what he said. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in the time of testing, that's the word that's used, the same word, they fall away. Well, what happens when they fall away? They don't return. They fall away. Like there, some, some you know, call this the parable of the sower. Some call the parable of Jesus told the parable of the seeds. Really, it's the parable of the soils. There are four different soils. Only one generates lasting life. And the other three are not, hear the word, but they never really believe. Not, not fully, not genuinely. And so, so Jesus uses that same word for temptation. It's the same Greek word that's used there. So lead us not into the kind of testing or the kind of trials that could result in the capsizing of my faith. Now, how do I get to the whole capsizing my faith thing? Well, it's the, 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 the statement that he makes about evil. And, and so, but before we get there, so, and this is one petition, it's, it's, it's two parts in one petition, and in this petition, he's, he, Jesus invites us to pray that he, we do not be led into the kinds of trials that could, that could be harmful to our faith. So, so is he saying that we should pray to avoid trials altogether, or tests altogether, or suffering altogether? 
Because Jesus said in the same sermon, in chapter 5, he said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus said, you're blessed if you experience trials of different kinds or testing of different kinds. And he said in John chapter 16, Jesus said to his disciples, uh, in this world or in the world you will have what? Tribulation. What's tribulation? Trials, suffering, trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, let's go there, um, he uses, so James uses the same word for testing that G, that's used in the Lord's Prayer that's translated temptation. Let's read this together, ready? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." I, I've shared this with you in the past, that, uh, for, for those of you who have been at Meadowbrook for some time, that God will use suffering in your life as his fire to burn away the dross so that what's left is a pure faith. It's called pruning. So he'll prune. Like I, I've said, like if, if, if plants could talk, what would they say if you're pruning them? Ouch. Stop it. Please don't do this anymore. I will punch you in the throat if you continue, like if they could talk. Um, like, it stinks. Like, I don't want to go through it. And so, so but, but God will use trials and testing in our life for, for our good and for his glory. Peter said something similar. So, so James says, count it all joy. Peter says in chapter, you know, in the epistle of Peter, in chapter 4, he says, beloved, do not be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And Peter wrote, that, wrote his letter to these Christians who were suffering, they were being persecuted. Some of them were losing their homes, their property, their jobs, and even were in danger of losing their lives. And he says, don't be surprised. God is doing something in your life. And he's doing something beautiful. He's in the business of taking what is ugly and doing something beautiful in your life. I think one way to translate verse 13 of Matthew chapter 6 is, lead us not into trials that may lead us to sin or may lead us into sinning against him. You know, which leads me to the, the, the second part of this petition Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. Now, if you have an NIV, you see deliver us from the evil one. I think the NASB, also the New American Standard, translates it deliver us from the evil one. It's pretty ambiguous here. And I think it's for a purpose. Like Jesus, I said this at the very beginning of the sermon series. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus didn't just throw this thing together. Like His words are chosen very carefully. And I said a couple of weeks ago, he, he did not preach the Sermon on the Mount assuming or, or believing that you were incapable of, of applying the Sermon on the Mount to your life. He wasn't like winking and nodding at his disciples, I'm going to preach this anyway even though you'll never measure up. Like I, he, he, this is for the Christian. This is what discipleship looks like. And, and 
when he says here, deliver us from evil, it could be the evil one. He, it could be the devil. It could be demons. It could be a, a, the, the kinds of trials and testing you experience from the supernatural demonic realm. Or it could be your own heart. It could be the circumstances of your own life. It could be disease. It could be you know, your environment. It could be all those things. I think Jesus left, left this open to apply all of that. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil so that our ship will not be capsized, the ship of our faith. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, the, from evil, or the evil. You know, the evil that you face, brothers and sisters, could be the fickleness of your own heart. A guy served as a pastor for almost 20 years. And Darlene was not the only person who turned away from her faith. There's a very real danger that, that you, some of you face that at some point in your life, your faith will be capsized where you quite possibly could walk away from Jesus indefinitely. That's real. This is why Jesus put it, he included it in his model for us to pray. You know, and here's, here's, here's the thing, and, and some of you already know this, like, like, don't blame everything on the devil either. Like, he's one person. He can only be at one place one at a time. Like, the reality is, is that he's got better things to do with his time than mess with your life. Like, he's messing with governments and rulers and kings and kingdoms and that kind of thing. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe social media, maybe he's involved with that, right? Uh, maybe he's involved with politics. Like he's doing, he's, he's pretty crafty, he's very cunning. He can disguise himself as an angel of light. He can look really attractive. Listen, he also has millions of demons at his disposal. So he, he can send them after you. Um, but the reality is the greatest threat facing you right now is your own heart, my own heart, my own sin. Yeah, I love that hymn, prone to wonder, Lord, I leave, feel it, prone to, to leave the God I love. Take my heart, you know, seal it like a fetter. Um, you know, I, I, I pray that, like the fickleness of our own heart can lead us, lead us astray. But, but there is a spiritual dynamic to, to sin, and there is a demonic realm to, you know, that's, that surrounds us, as there is also an angelic realm that surrounds us. And so there are a couple of verses that, that, that point this out. There's a whole bunch of verses, but I only uh, have two of them I want to point out to you. Let's read this together, First Peter chapter 5. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, I don't know how true this is, but somebody told me that, um, that, the, that the, the lion that roars the loudest is the one with no teeth. Now, here's the, here's the reality. The devil cannot do anything to you without the permission of your heavenly Father. Amen. He has been defanged. He is on a leash. And the one who holds his leash is God Almighty, and one day he will be judged. But he's real. Like, he's not some mythological character. He's real. And so are, the demon, so, so are demons. 
Let's go to the, to the next verse. Uh, soon, I don't know when, maybe next year, I'll, I'm going to preach through Ephesians. And Ephesians chapter 6 is a whole chapter on spiritual warfare. But let's, let's read this together, ready? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Like, yeah, okay, so our flesh and blood, that's a threat. Like our own hearts is a threat. Like our, our prone to sin is a threat. But there's also another threat, and it's outside of ourselves. It's rulers, it's authorities. These are, these are, this is the demonic realm. This is, this is the supernatural realm. You face that as well. Like the, the devil is after families, and he's using his army of demons to get after families, especially Christian families, and pastors, and, you know, you, and all kinds of stuff. He has his demons. But consider, you know, the danger that's always before us. Let's go to the next verse. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is what? Earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, uh, of these the wrath of God is coming. And then uh, the, the James, which we already looked at, but just, just as a refresher, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. So chances are, whatever sin you are guilty of or guilty of engaging in, the devil didn't make you do it. You know who made you do it? You made you do it. <laughs> right? And so hey, how does that come, to ba- come about? Well, whatever you're feeding most into your soul is where you're going to gravitate most likely. So if, if you know, if you're you know, on this all the time and you're feeding your mind with whatever you know, you're looking at, if, uh, if you're not spending any time in this, guess what? You're probably going to find yourself wandering more than not into sin that leaves you discouraged, defeated, uh, feeling you know, small and guilty and all those things. You know, uh, John Owen... Uh, one of my favorite Puritans, said, you know, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Right? It's war. The war that we're waging is against our own flesh. But there is a spiritual realm out there. And I think Jesus has in mind both here in verse 13. The danger is both. It's my own heart and it is what's outside of me. And when we, when we pray, we're going to our Heavenly Father and we're asking Him, guard me from that. Guard me from falling away. Keep me. Don't let me go. Hey, here, newsflash. Ready? Um, when it comes to our faith, it is not us that are holding on to God. It is God that is holding on to us. Like, I, I left to my own strength and my own desires, um, and I, you know, we're called to cling to him and to hold on to him, but I'm, it's like I have, like, slippery hands, Right? I, I'm, I've got butterfingers, spiritual butterfingers. And it's the Lord who's holding on to me. It's like uh, Romans chapter, what, 12, you know, present yourselves as a what? Living sacrifice. Somebody said, you know what the problem with living sacrifices is? They're always crawling off the altar. And that's, that's my own experience. And so, you know, Jesus is, you know, includes this in the petition the, the final petition in the Lord's Prayer, and it's so beautiful the way this is structured. It begins, 
you know, God word, heaven word, our Father. Our Father. Who is our Father? He's Elohim. He's the God who speaks into existence that which never existed. He is Yahweh. He's the God who keeps his covenant. He never breaks his promises. Even though I do, he doesn't break his promises. And he is Adonai. He is sovereign. He does not get frustrated. We do. He doesn't. Uh, he, he is sovereign. There are several uh, paraphrases that you know, other you know, pastors and theologians have used to, 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 to word this verse you know, in the Lord's Prayer. You know, I, I, the first one, I, I can't remember who I read this from, so I don't know, go, go to the one before, not James' voice, that one, yep. That we may not be led into temptation, deliver us from evil. Uh, next one, James Boyce, who's, uh, he's home with Jesus now. He, he said this, keep us, wa- keep us from wandering into paths where we will be tempted by the devil, but if he comes, keep us out of his clutches. And I'm not a big you know, uh, paraphrase Bible fan. I, I mean, I, I think sometimes they're helpful. Uh, so, but the message um, by Eugene uh, Peterson, who, who was a pastor, was a, a pretty smart theologian, uh, he's also home with the Lord. But I'm like, when I saw this, I'm like, yes, this, I like this, I like this. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. Like, that's, I mean, I think that's the point. I think that's, what, that's the point here. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. Lead us not into the kind of uh, trial or testing that would, that would capsize our faith, that the devil would want to take and, and, and use to destroy us. I think that's the point. This one theologian um, who survived the uh, you know, World War II, he was a German, and he didn't leave, I don't think he left Germany because like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wanted to be able to, to suffer with his, his kinsmen and help rebuild the Germany that was destroyed by the SS and the rise and fall of Hitler. But he said this, this is really good, and I think I have the words, on the, yeah, I do have the words on the screen. He says, there is a dark, mysterious, spellbinding figure at work behind the temptations, you know, stand the tempter. Behind the lie stands the liar. Behind all the dead and bloodshed stand, or stands the murderer from the beginning. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fitting that our Lord places this petition at the end of his prayer. You know, it's like rungs in a ladder. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us our bread for tomorrow. Wake us up tomorrow, Lord. Keep me. Don't let me go. And Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, who, who are indebted towards us, or forgive us our sins. And then lead us not into the kind of testing that can capsize our faith. Yeah, I said this at the beginning of, of our time in the, in the Lord's Prayer some weeks ago, that, that there are six petitions here. The first petition is served by the following five. The first petition, hallowed be your name. It's for your renown, Lord. It's for your glory. You are holy to the third degree. 
And when I pray, your kingdom come, I pray for the renown of your name. When I pray uh, for your will be done, I pray for the renown of your name, the hallowing of your name. When I uh, ask that you wake me up tomorrow morning, it's for the hallowing of your name. And when I, when I forgive those who are indebted to me, it's for the hallowing of your name. And when I ask for your forgiveness for things that I've done to, to, to grieve your heart, it's for the hallowing of your name. And when I pray, Lord, please, Keep me. Don't let me go. Hold me firm. Enable me to persevere. It is for the hallowing of your name. It's for the hallowing of your name. And by the way, those who are getting baptized, you can actually get ready um, to get baptized. It's for the hallowing of your name, Lord. You know, I was, I was thinking about this. Uh, you know, so, so how does this, how does this petition help us, help us, from experiencing the capsizing of our faith? How does this, how does this help us from, from, from our, our lives, our walk with Jesus not ending well? How, how does it protect us from that? Well, for starters, again, just thinking of the, the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews ends with, with a, a, a statement. It says this. Let's go, let's go to Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let's do war with our own flesh. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Meaning it's not a sprint. Let's run with endurance. Looking to who? Jesus. Have your eyes fixed on him, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Like the author of Hebrews, his answer for, for you know, guarding your heart so that your faith is not capsized by the trials of life that the devil or his demons um, would like to, to use to do that to you or your own flesh, focus your attention on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Like, and you think about that. It was Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, just before the Sermon on the Mount, it was Jesus who stood against the devil for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness and was tempted. It was Jesus who lived a life that we could never live and died a death that each and every single one of us deserved. He went on that cross, not you. He went on that cross in your place and in my place, and he endured the wrath of a holy God for our sin. And, and because he did that, and because you placed your faith and trust in him, you belong to a God who calls you son and calls you daughter. You're his. And he'll never let you go. That's John chapter 10, by the way, and Romans chapter 8. And I can go on and on and on. Uh, there's all kinds of passages. I came across this statement by Ken Hughes, who served as a pastor for a long time, and he's a also uh, a really great theologian. But he said this, he said, and the words will be on the screen, I believe. He said, the disciple is so weak that he is no match for the devil. He, listen, he needs a savior, not an, not an assistant. A hero, not a helper. He needs a champion who will fight the evil one for him and who will snatch him from the clutches of the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. We need Jesus. We need Jesus, and he, and he modeled this prayer for us. So how do we endure the, you know, the pressure from the kinds of trials and 
suffering and temptations that life can, can bring into our, into our experience? I think the answer is in the Lord's Prayer. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, but uh, he, we see it in the Lord's Prayer. If you think about it, like our Father, our Father, not just any God, but the God, Elohim. When I'm not sure what my life is going to look like down the road, if I received news that it was not welcome news or a disease I've been diagnosed with or somebody in my family died, he is our Father who is Elohim. He speaks into existence that which never existed before. And he wasn't in heaven thinking, well, I'm kind of lonely. I think I would like to just make human beings so I can just consume some of my boredom. Like, that's not what he did. You know why you were created? You know why you were born? It was the overflow of his love that resulted in your birth and the, and the creation of all mankind and then all of creation. He was perfectly content. I know this is deep. He was perfectly content and happy within the fellowship of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And under the overflow of that love, he created. He's Elohim. He's Yahweh. Like, you, like what you read in the Bible, you come to a verse like I've done thousands of times probably, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and I read, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am able to go to Yahweh, who doesn't break his promises. I do, he doesn't, and I can bank on the, on, on the truth of that promise in my life. He's Yahweh, and he's Adonai. He's Adonai. When my plans don't go the way that I wanted my plans to go, he's Adonai. When I'm frustrated because my life is just turned upside down, he is Adonai. What is it? Why is that significant? Because he does not sleep. He does not need a vacation, and he does not get frustrated. He is the sovereign one. He's the sovereign one. And all that he wills, he does. There's a psalm that says, Our God is in the heavens and he does all that pleases him. He is, he is our Father. And hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your, your name. It is his name that is to be honored, not our name. Like, like uh, that C.H. Spurgeon quote that said something to the effect of, When somebody insults you, don't be angry that he insulted you um, because. Uh, because you are worse, you are worse than, than, than the insult that that person has given to you. Like you're worse off. You are a sinner. Like it's not about you. It's about him. God is holy. And his name, it's, it's, it's for the renown of his name that we exist. I, I like that one that statement that, a, that one of the early Puritans uh, said of the holiness of God. The holiness of God is the beauty of all God's attributes, without which his wisdom would be subtlety his justice, cruelty, his sovereignty, tyranny, and his mercy, foolish pity. And in your kingdom come. Here, listen. We don't exist to build small kingdoms like the small kingdoms of our aspirations, of, of our bank accounts, of our family. We exist for a kingdom. It's his kingdom. And when we pray, your kingdom come, the first place we're asking that his kingdom spread and expand is in our own hearts. And as we do that, it just opens up all of reality before you. You can trust him. You can trust him. And your will be done. He's the sovereign one. Here's what this means. 
your life is shaped by a God who's not only holy, but he is a God of love, he's a God of grace, he's a God of mercy, he's a just God, he's a good God. And I say this often because I'm preaching, the God, I'm preaching this to my own heart. He's a God who does not need to improve upon being good. I do. You do. And it's, it, it, when we pray that his will be done, we can rest in the confidence that, that whatever is going in, whatever has entered into your life, whatever is happening now, there is a good and benevolent God that's doing something but, you know, behind the clouds of your grief and your sorrow. Like, it's his mercy and his grace that allowed you to get up this morning. And here's, here's something that's hard to hear, but it's so true. And it is due to his mercy and his grace that may prevent you from waking up tomorrow. And he gives our bread for tomorrow. He gives our bread for tomorrow. I, I, you know, it's not just food on your plate. It's you woke up this morning. You're here. Those watching the live stream, you're able to watch because of this God who gives our bread for tomorrow. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He sustains all of life. All of history is moving in a direction. And it's the expanding of his kingdom on earth where Jesus will set up his kingdom. He'll balance the scales of justice. He'll get rid of tyranny. Heaven and earth will be one. Our bodies will be resurrected. There will be no curse. No more sin. That's the one that we pray. Lord, give us our bread for tomorrow. I was thinking of that, 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 that petition in light of, I think, one of, one of the great passages in the Bible is so that this echoes the just the tone of Christmas. And we know, Romans chapter 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew. So those whom he, fore, you know, he foreknew, he predestined, and he, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Like he did that in your life. If you're a Christian, raise your hand if you're a Christian. Right? Most of you, if not all of you, like he did that in you. He did that to you. He's doing that in you. That's why we can know all things are working together for, for good because <clears throat> this heavenly father loves you. But it gets better. It says that, um, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, how do we know he's for us? Well, next verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's how we know he's for us. And he's not talking about a bank account. He's talking about how he's molding and shaping your life and this beautiful thing that he's doing in your life. We can go to that God as we pray, give us our bread for tomorrow. And then forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Like we can go to that God knowing that his grace is greater than all of our sin. Like you've been forgiven much, Christian. And because of Jesus, you can enter the throne room of a good and loving heavenly father and rest in his love 
rather than having to rest in your performance. He did it all. And then lead us not into trials, but deliver us from all evil. Like when the worst comes, and it may, that it doesn't have to capsize your faith. Because like when you, when you pray to this God, and you, when you seek this God, and when, you, when you're praying in, in accordance to his will for your life, as you seek to get to know him, that's how you hear him, not, not, not just showing up to church on a Sunday, but you get to hear the voice of God every time you open your Bible. When you listen to him, and then when you go to him in prayer, the ballast of your faith, the ballast of the ship that is your faith, will go deeper so that when the storms of life blow and they, and they tr- threaten to, to capsize your ship, it is the ballast that is your understanding of who God is and all that he is that will keep your faith from cap- being capsized. Also because he's holding you and he's keeping you. That, that is how you endure to the end. Amen? And if you're not a Christian here, if you don't know who this Jesus then you don't know God, but I just want you to hear these words that, that the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.